You are listening to episode 1547 of the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. If you enjoy this episode or any of the others in the archives, head over to patreon.com, search for Permaculture Podcast, and become a member of the show. In exchange, you'll receive early access to episodes, exclusive members-only content, and discounts to vendors. Your donations and small recurring contributions keep this podcast going and growing. My guests for this episode are Derek Canwisher, the Project Manager for the Office of Sustainability at Western Michigan University, and Joshua Schultz, the Permaculture Program Coordinator at Gibbs House. Our conversation today revolves around Gibbs House and the work of the Office of Sustainability at WMU to practice permaculture on campus, including research and implementation, and creating a demonstration site of sustainable practices. We also talk about student fellows that live and work at Gibbs House, including their research projects, as well as funding and the involvement of the university. If you are interested in permaculture that involves education, policy, research, or demonstration, this is a show to listen to. Before heading into the interview, a few announcements. As this show comes out, the listener-exclusive crowdfunding campaign to create the Possibility Handbook, a project with Ethan Hughes, is underway, and I'd like to thank everyone who's supported the effort so far. If you would like to hear and see more of Ethan's passion and perspective brought into the world, go to thepermaculturepodcast.com forward slash book to find out more and make a pledge. Also, time is running out to enter the drawing for a Costa Rican PDC at Verde Energia, being offered by Joshua P. Seeker and other instructors. As this drawing comes to a close in the near future, get your entry in today. Find the full details at the Costa Rica tab at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Now then, on to Derek and Joshua. I'll join you again afterwards. Derek, Josh, if you could give myself and the listeners a bit of an introduction to yourselves and how you came to this work at Western Michigan University and on this project of the Gibbs House, and we'll take it from there. I'm passing it to Josh. Josh was here first. Okay, so my involvement with the Gibbs House started when I was a student here. I was one of the fellows as part of the, the Gibbs House Fellowship Program. Uh, and this was prior to me knowing a whole lot about permaculture and, and what was going on. My projects during that time were starting a community garden and installing a rainwater capture system to run the drip irrigation and a, uh, a very small greenhouse to get seed starts going. So that that's what I did uh, initially at the Gibbs House as a student, um, and that would have been 2007 through 2009. I then graduated from Western and moved to a place in the Bahamas called the Island School and the Cape Eleuthera Institute, where I learned more about what permaculture was, and I ended up taking a position there as the permaculture manager for the 18-acre school, uh, running an aquaponics system, and all of the landscaping was edible landscaping, and we had a, a small food forest and a farm with some animals on it, and did our own plant propagation and things like that. So that's where I really got my feet wet in permaculture. And then I moved back to Kalamazoo-ish area in uh, 2013 and started my own permaculture farm and also got back in touch with some of my old professors and, and the Gibbs House program. And at that time, the the house was in flux. The area where the gardens were were being removed and they were looking for a, a vision, a plan for how to make the property into what it's becoming right now. So I was hired on then to put together a permaculture consultation and a, a master plan for 
the property. So that's that's how I ended up uh, back at the Gibbs House after being a student here. And then, Derek, what is your role in coming to the Office of Sustainability and the Gibbs House Project? All right. What did I end up here in Kalamazoo at the Gibbs House? Let's see. My, my story starts back in, let's say, Missoula, Montana, where I went to graduate school. And I worked on a project, and it was about my focus, you know, similar to Josh's experience as a Gibbs Fellow, was wanting to create a demonstration project that students could really learn from experientially. And I started a demonstration home at, at the University of Montana, and that kind of catalyzed and kind of defined who I wanted to be. And to make a very long story quite a bit shorter, I finished grad school and um, after some years of doing, you know, some projects here and there, I got my permaculture design certificate and was involved in a few different projects with this this home that I started. It was mostly kind of natural building focused and kind of cooperative living, more social permaculture than, well, it included everything from cob oven to straw bale walls to the gardening components and such. But looking for a job in my field out in Missoula was, was kind of difficult, so I ended up finding a position out here at Western Michigan University as a project manager. And Western Michigan University is this really unique entity in the world, I think, of sustainability, where there's a really strong core mission to promote a culture for sustainability through the projects and the programs that exist here. One of those projects is the Gibbs House site, it's the permaculture you know, research and education site. And I came out here to check out the site before accepting the position and was really struck by the possibilities of this site. Um, we'll talk more about the site a bit later, I'm sure, but it's a two-acre site that has that Josh was previously a part of. So I kind of came into the folds, I guess, in that way. And my role is to oversee a number of students across the office and their projects and help mentor them. And I think the most rewarding and challenging component is working with permaculture here at a four-year university. So I'm inspired every day and but challenged as well. So that's kind of how I've arrived here at Western. And what you mentioned about working with permaculture at a four-year university, that was one of the things that stood out for me when my listener, Matthew, passed on information about Gibbs House and what you were doing there because permaculture as kind of a mainstream endeavor that's being researched at the university level and integrating into academia is still kind of emerging. And I find that it's agroforestry and agroecology are places where kind of permaculture and the university setting are intersecting. But you're very clear in the information for Gibbs House that this is permaculture. Like that's mentioned throughout the information that you have on the website. And I was wondering, was it any kind of a hard sell to the university to take this approach on the project? No, I was, I was brought into it after permaculture had already been decided upon. And so they were looking for specifically a permaculturist to put together a master plan. And because of my experience of living there, that's how I ended up being chosen. And my past experience in, in permaculture and school settings in the Bahamas. Uh, I'm not sure how the university got to that. 
you know, and, and I feel like what, and I've mentioned challenges before is I feel like is there's not a, a clear line in the sand that anyone has for a definition for who we are and what we do out there. A lot of what we do is kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and we have to take a very kind of pragmatic approach of how we move forward with identifying the projects that we're going to work on and make sure that making sure that we're checking in with all the right people to make sure that nobody's caught off guard and it's a lot of education you know ultimately our goal is to educate you know the community and the students but to make something happen is is there's certainly a component of you know educating ourselves and educating the administration and selling it in a way that it it's something that has you know multiple functions and benefits and that seems to be kind of a universal language and I guess I, I should note too that I came into this position about two years ago and a lot of the legwork was done to establish the site and that was established as a priority beforehand and I don't know how clear like the next steps were going to be like what we had worked on for the first year was establishing infrastructure for the site which included it was an old worn out piece of land that had really been neglected over the years and abused so it was a lot of regeneration of of the soil and trying to build that up through composting and different practices there but the infrastructure was setting up a fence and trying to keep the critters out i would make a bad joke of trying to keep the students in but but we're also in terms of infrastructure is a couple hoop houses and a seven-layer food forest was part of that um, living fence along the exterior of the property some native gardens some of this was already you know happening you know well before then back in josh's time but yeah, some of it was remnants from prior to the office for sustainability even being formed back when it was when i lived there uh, we had some some of the components are left over from that era the original gardens, some of the, the tree plantings, some of the, you know, like raspberry patches that are on the property. Those were things that had already been put in place over time and they got rolled into the permaculture design. So, I mean, over, over the long time, it's been evolving towards permaculture anyway. And through that evolution, the two of you have been in a place to move the work that's being done ever closer to permaculture while also ensuring that all of the people who have an interest in this project continue to be informed and engaged so that they can help to choose the direction where you're going for implementation and development over the long term? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the case that, I mean, we, we do have a, the office is a, here at Western is a pretty unique entity. One thing that, you know, attracted me to the position is it's a full office with, you know, significant, well, five leadership staff. And we have, through the university, a sustainability fee that the students pay from every semester. And that establishes the possibility for us to do a lot of the projects and the programs that we have and hire the students to give them the opportunities to work on these projects. Most of these projects started as research and, you know, when we work to mentor them, to put these projects on the ground. But a lot of this work was the vision of our executive director, Harold Glasser. And he and Josh 
and other former employees like Matt Hollander, you know, really kind of set the foundation for, you know, the direction of what the office priorities, like the five-year goals of where we were going to move with the Gibbs house. So those goals are kind of reassessed year to year. But I mean, I think everything's still consistent with the original goal. And now that we have Josh, who was hired to be our permaculture program coordinator, he just has this incredible wealth of experience and expertise and is really wonderful with the students as a teacher and educator and a mentor to make a really positive, fruitful environment for everyone who's a part of it. Your Office of Sustainability isn't just a token office or some kind of lip service to these ideas. The idea of sustainability is integrated into the fabric of the university between the sustainability fee that students pay and all of these initiatives that come out of the office. Because when I go to the website, you have not only Gibbs House, which has, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different features as part of it. Seeing all that it really reinforces what you were saying about how this is a part of WMU and the work that you're doing individually on that project, but also broader within the community. Yeah. Some of the research and experimentation and, you know, the envelope pushing sort of things that we're trying at the Gibbs house, which, you know, for permaculturalists are are pretty standard things, cover crops, Hugo cultures, uh, different ways of, dealing with weeding and pests and stuff, that is all going to be translating into the university maybe adopting some of these practices at the university scale if we can prove that they work. I've already had people from landscape services who have been interested in how we're planting our native plants because we're not using glyphosate to kill the initial you know, lawn or vegetation that was in place. We're doing it through permaculture techniques. And so we're being watched and they're interested in some of the the techniques that we're using out there. And there's certainly the possibility of this becoming institutionalized in how the university goes about its daily business. And that's, that's the hope, right? Which is fairly promising from the outside to hear that because of when I came into the realm of permaculture and sustainability, a lot of it was still just conversation. And many of the projects were kind of the same thing over and over again, that we get these various ideas through the different waves of development. So it's, you know, right now, Hugo culture is still really big. Before that, we had uh, swales and, you know, herb spirals and all these other things. There was a very technique-focused presentation of this material in kind of a backyard setting. And now you're able to apply and research these ideas with the support of a, a university. Yeah, we feel like we're, we have a lot of responsibility, you know, I mean, when there's opportunity, you're going to get that. But the students, you know, who come into a four-year university, and I like, I mean, you mentioned before, it's like, it's mainstream, you know, and like, I've always been aware of, you know, there's these different skills schools across the country and eco-villages and stuff where you can get your PDC and you can do these intensive woofing type of experiences, you know, and learn these applied skills. But for most people, like, that's not an opportunity that's going to cross their plate. But people who come into a four-year university is if you can show them that these are some of the options, these are some of the skills that you can learn and frame it in a way that it's like you actually give it a label and it's called permaculture. You know, not to go off track here, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that we're doing 
anyone would agree is is not necessarily permaculture. It's just like we just put a label on it and we're calling it permaculture. And, and I think that helps. I mean, we hope it does, is that hope it progresses the narrative, you know, for people that want to explore these types of ideas and practices. What I take from what you were saying is that this is a different place for people who are interested in permaculture to get an exposure to it that has the support of a university setting, which has a certain amount of professional recognition that coming out of, say, a university setting, if you were to include a permaculture design certificate for students through the Gibbs House project, that would be part of the package that they got from WMU, which would have a different credential than, say, you know, Scott's Skill School or something like that that's just a a name on a piece of paper that might not have any kind of background to it that people can attach to that information. I love that statement and I'm totally with you on that. I mean that that is really what has inspired me because I had this conversation just this weekend. We had a workshop in town. Peter Bain was here. We had an event and he was our keynote speaker and it was just a fantastic time but it elicited a lot of really interesting conversations and reflections about like who we are and why we're here. And that brings back kind of my background a little bit was wanting to, it makes me question that now. But the story is, is that I found myself in academia. And at the same time, I discovered permaculture. I was like, oh my God, I love permaculture and I love everything that it represents. And this is what I want to do. But I feel like I'm too along my path in academia that I can actually turn back and just give up this thing that I've been working on and go back to permaculture. So how do I weave the two into my livelihood, if you will? And I feel like this type of program here at this university at Western Michigan is kind of that entity that enables me to do that. So I feel tremendous gratification at just seeing that as an opportunity to spread the word and enable people like Josh, who has far greater permaculture experience than I do, to you know spend real quality time and resources with the students to kind of build out and show off, you know, like what what are these concepts and how can they be applied? And I'm not sure. It's, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I'm I'm not sure our goal with this site is to get students a, a PDC at the end of it. This is more of a, an appetizer, if you will, for students to experience a permaculture site, to get their hands dirty, to find out what it's all about. And if they want to continue on and get a PDC, there, there's lots of great teachers out there who are, are doing the, the two-week course or the weekend courses Personally, I would encourage them to go that direction rather than trying to make permaculture design certificate part of a university. I mean, that was fairly explicitly talked about as as not the direction that, you know, permaculture was started and they didn't want it in, in universities because of the expense and because of the bureaucracy that can mire it down. So what we're doing is really just being an exposure and making a, a place where students can live and uh, get a feel for what it's like to live in a place where you're collecting rainwater and, you know, have a cob oven that you can cook food in and have community of potlucks and events and grow a lot of your own food right in the backyard. You know, these are, 
this is the experience part that the, we're trying to bring to them, not necessarily the, uh, the design part. A place for students and others to come see, learn, and then if they enjoy what they find when they're there, be able to take that with them and continue their interests in education in whatever direction they find fits best for them. That's how I see it, yeah. With your mention of a cob oven and collecting rainwater, what are the projects and initiatives that you're exploring at Gibbs House? The main projects that we have right now, the ongoing working projects, is we're, we're establishing a food forest. Um, and I have uh, students who have been helping with planting the trees, doing root dip inoculations on the bare root trees, building hugel cultures, chop and drop cover crops, uh, learning how to prune things like that. But the, the more focused projects that you know, individual students are working on uh, have one who is uh, working on rainwater collection. And so I mentioned before, when I was a student there, I built a 550-gallon uh, rainwater tower that used to be off of a, a barn in the back that's no longer there. We moved the tower and hooked it back up to the house, and that was her project was calculating the amount of water coming off the roof, figuring out how to make a first flush diverter for it, uh, what to do with the water afterwards, how to deal with overflow, and just looking at all aspects of rainwater capture and collection and use. Uh, and now her project is moving from that initial small scale, just hooking up an existing rain tower, to how, how are we going to deal with the water that's coming off of our two 30 by 48 foot hoop houses? Uh, you know, every time it rains, we're ending up with small rivers of water on either side because of the, the plastic is shedding that much. So uh, we're looking at how can we capture that? How can we turn it into some sort of cistern, possibly feed it to a, a gravity, uh, another water tower that makes it so we can gravity feed it, or maybe just a, a small solar electric pump? That's her project for the, the upcoming year is going to be looking at things like that. Uh, one of our other students is... Uh, researching post-consumer food waste here on campus and how can we deal with uh, the food scraps that come out of the dining halls that have all sorts of contaminants and are unsorted, have meats and cheeses and fats and citrus and all sorts of things in it. So we have uh, an active composting program. So we're looking at static outdoor composting piles. We're looking at vermicomposting. We're looking at uh, black soldier flies as a, as a way of possibly dealing with that. And there's another student who's working specifically on black soldier flies as a partnership with Bell's Brewery. They have a organic waste stream that they were having difficulty with. And since we were both looking at black soldier flies as a possible solution, we're working together and ground truthing whether or not they will eat the materials that, uh, that Bell's produces and whether or not they'll eat the post-consumer food waste here at Western. And then moving on from that, we're going to be looking at, well, okay, great. They work, they eat things, they reduce stuff 20 to 1. How do you do that year-round in a, uh, a climate zone where they aren't active year-round? They're native to here, but they only are out and consuming things during the warm summer months because they're a, uh, a, a warm-weather insect. So what does this look like in a northern climate? How do you make it so that you can breed them? Um, that's some of the questions that we're working on with black soldier flies now. You know, another project is we have these hoop houses, and uh, last year we ran them throughout the winter, Elliot Coleman style, with floating row covers and harvesting the plants through the winter. But, you know, how do we get them so that they'll actively be growing through the winter and not just go into dormancy? So 
one of our hoop houses, that's the, the research hoop, we're putting in a compost hot water system, Gene Payne style. So we're bringing in Galen Brown, who wrote Compost Powered Hot Water Heater, uh, the more recent uh, information than what Gene Payne had, and uh, bringing him in to do a workshop. We're building a 13-foot diameter wood chip compost pile, and we've installed a, a radiant floor system inside of the, the hoop house, and we're experimenting with uh, different types of natural insulation underneath the grow beds to find out if we can get away from using polystyrene. You know, we're trying to keep plastics out of our agricultural systems as much as possible. So, you know, those are just a, a few of the current research projects that we're working on on the property. And Derek, I don't know if you want to cover any of the, the other ones or... I think you covered them pretty well. The other additional component to the Gibbs property that is, is we have a fellowship program. And there's a pretty, I won't even say interesting history because it, it's fascinating, but I'm biased. And so it's a historic house from 1846 or so? 54. 1854, thanks. And there's a long history of the use of the property. We, we have two acres. On one side of us is a Asylum Lake Nature Preserve that is managed by the university. And right behind us is another 250 or so acres, which is part of the engineering campus as well as the business and technology research park so we have corporate businesses who are large buildings in fact we have design headquarters for the fortune 500 company no rubbermaid right in our backyard so we're like an island within kind of the, the this area here and we're really high visibility and high profile. There's a lot of, there's quite a bit of traffic that goes by the house. So we have to be really aware and trying to keep up the aesthetics. And we know that permacultures can sometimes suffer from not always matching everyone's idea of an aesthetic. It is not classical horticultural aesthetics that permaculture embodies usually. Right. It, it's not the manicured it, English garden. Yeah, if you're looking for that, permaculture can look uh, somewhat messy. And so finding a balance in there is, is always a challenge. But I was going to mention that this historic home is the home for five of our students who live there. And it's, they're part of a fellowship program. So five students get to live there for a year at reduced rent. But in exchange for that, they get to be a part of this really enriching experience of being pretty much in zone zero of this, this permaculture property. And in exchange for living there in this experience, they also um, they contribute to a program. And the program is the social permaculture aspect of living together, which is something that we try and really push them towards and emphasize. And they're, they're incredibly receptive to having a weekly meeting and talking about projects they can do with regards to like material flows, like what is, you know, what are they doing with all their compost? What are they doing with all the recycling and energy flows of, of water and measuring the energy that each bedroom uses through a kilowatt and in other means. So just being really aware and in communicating to each other and having really heartfelt discussions about what it means to live like this. And that's kind of an emerging component of developing like what that experience is going to be. Um, each of the students also work either on the property on some 
one of the projects that Josh mentioned, or at the office for sustainability where we have like a bike stable where once a week students can come into our shop and fix their bike. And some of our students are have some great skills and they can help people fix their own bike, you know, or a whole range of different things. They, a sustainability studio where we're trying to promote a safe environment where students can learn how to build out like a design they have in their head and try and create like a form for it or traditional woodworking. We have a couple of shaving horses. We have a spring pole lathe. You know, we promote opportunities for students to rather than buy things new, like from Home Depot's or Lowe's is, is try and establish like an ethic or an awareness that we want to try and do reclaimed and repurposed first, which is totally consistent with what's happening on the Gibbs property. But it's one example of how we're creating a bridge between, you know, what happens at the house and what happens at the office. And the university in the larger sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but really the driver of, of everything and our focus today is on the Gibbs house is, I mean, the office is really kind of the engine of the sustainability initiatives and kind of the culture that we're trying to promote at, at Western Michigan University. If someone wanted to visit and tour, is it open to the public to do so? Um, yeah, the site itself. Generally, I say it's it's open if one of us is out there working, which is usually from about 9 to 5, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, we do also have an open volunteer day on Fridays from 1 to 5, uh, where we try to get more concentrated groups of volunteers to come out to, to work on larger projects. For example, this week we're going to be working on putting in uh, patio pavers for some outdoor spaces in the food forest where, you know, eventually we might have art installations or a cop bench or, a, you know, an arbor or a trellis that covers one of these outdoor spaces and just make it an enjoyable spot to, to sit in the forest and, and contemplate things. Other than that, we also do a lot of community outreach through our farm stand. So once a week on Fridays, we run a farm stand out by the road where we sell some of our produce. Um, that's mainly to our neighbors and the, the neighborhoods on either side of us. And so that's how we're, you know, people can stop in and strike up a conversation about what they see going on and, you know, what, why are you selling this produce and how are you growing it? And it just, you know, questions lead into, you know, deeper conversations and thought. And so that's how we're part of the way we're interacting with people in the community. So we're, we're open most of the time. And it's, it's for the public. This is not a university-exclusive sort of thing. This is, we want to educate K-12 through schools. You know, we have students that come from you know, the Kalamazoo Nature Center or some of the Woodward schools or various places around town. You know, we work with master gardener programs. So you know, we're trying to actively engage the community in this project. And so we welcome visitors as much as possible. And then in support of all the projects and programs, do you have to do any kind of grant writing or seeking of outside funding, or is it largely supported directly by the university? The sustainability fee is in large part what provides the, the operating funds for the project, but the funds that were put up to establish the landscape infrastructure for us initially was, was kind of a one-time deal that 
you know, it's part of a plan to help leverage the, the potential of future programming on the site. You know, in the future, you know, we may have to look towards other funding opportunities. In fact, there are a couple elements on the property that, that we can't fund through the university. So, like, for example, one of our students is working on creating an outdoor education space that meets living building challenge guidelines. So really pushing the envelope as much as possible to rethink of how a structure can be built in terms of its footprint, you know, whether that be energy or water or the materials that are used. And her, the strategy is to have students work with community members who are experts in their field and that way bring the two together and in, in some sort of experience to come with come up with a, a compelling design that we can evaluate. And once we have a design, then we can sell it hopefully to funders and neighbors and alumni and get creative here. If you have any ideas, is we want to fund this this project in sometime in, in the future. The other project that, you know, is is the house itself. Is it's 160 plus years old and it's not the most efficient house on the block. Actually, it's the only house on the block. But we want to make this an energy-positive house. So we need to reevaluate, you know, like the whole energy systems and how it's laid out, you know. But it's also on the historic registry. So we are constricted in some ways of what we can and can't do. We will be looking for, hopefully, outside funding to do something like that in the future. But these are things for the future, you know, and, and for discussion. And at the moment, the property is, is pretty self-sustaining in the staff that we hire to manage the projects that keep them going. Um, projects, ideas, and research turn into programs, and they're maintained over time. And so far, that, that's working out well. But we're young. We're young and we're growing. But as you move forward, you're open to looking for additional funding resources and everything else that you need in order to continue to grow and move not only the work that's been done, but any future projects forward. Yeah, I mean, it becomes a bit of a rabbit hole when you start talking about like growth and the potential of like the plethora of ideas that we consider of wanting to do on this site and this footprint. There is other property that the university owns not too far away, like our colony farm orchard, where we'd love to see if it's going to be developed, you know, as people are talking about, you know, is some sort of cooperative, you know, design strategy that incorporates some of the, many of the things that we're trying to develop and practice and demonstrate on, on the Gibbs footprint. So that's one example. Yeah, and it, it's not just outside funding sources and grant sources that we're looking for. I think a big part of what we're looking to do on this property is, is partnerships. So we're also looking for organizations and businesses who have something to bring to the table. And, you know, it's good for us. It's good for them, you know, to demonstrate what their products are or if they want to help fund a project like this because they're committed to sustainability themselves. There's a lot of different avenues that we're considering and we're open to just about anything there's not much that's not on the table. If someone is listening to this and would like to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? I would say our website. Our website has our contact information. It has context for what's going on. Our website is wmich.edu. 
slash sustainability slash projects slash Gibbs. And I'll make sure that to include a link in the show notes so that's easier for people to find. Anyone who goes to that site, I would absolutely encourage them just the sustainability site for our office, you know, and, and looking at some of the other projects and programs that we have and how they all kind of intertwine and intersect and support each other. We're really proud of what we, what we do at this university, at this office. So, And I really take a lot of inspiration for what you're doing, that more projects like this can emerge in these kinds of settings to make them more accessible for people to see and interact with, get their hands dirty without having to hunt to try to find something. I know from early on in my education with permaculture and many other projects, it was a matter of things that were happening were nowhere near where I was located. And with how many colleges and universities we have throughout the country, most of us are near one. And I'd like to see more projects like Gibbs House to emerge or more offices of sustainability at the various schools throughout the country where permaculture folks, people who are just interested in these topics and green living and everything that goes with it can go and get involved. That's what drew me here. And I feel really fortunate for the experience that I've had. And, you know, and I hope that you know, we can just share that with other people. And yes, the university setting is, it's a unique environment that, you know, I feel like, imagine the possibilities. Josh brought up an interesting point, though, is like, you know, whether permaculture is, is best practice in a university setting, for whatever reason. Mollison specifically talks against it. He never wanted to have it become a course at a university. So I think we're trying to toe the line and, you know, getting it into the, the institutional systems without making it inaccessible to people in the greater community, um, which sometimes can happen when it becomes institutionalized. I'm imagining this more like a hub where a university can be sponsoring different educational events and such for people to come and get a taste and meet the people who are involved and doing this kind of work as just kind of an introduction to these ideas, not as a place to go to as an end-all be-all because of some of that gatekeeping that occurs then, but rather as a way for people to have a space to meet and get to know one another and find out what's going on. Yeah, I love that you said that. I previously mentioned that we had a, a perma-mixer, kind of a mini-convergence here. Yeah, just this past weekend, our local permaculture community, you know, helped organize that and put it together. And we brought in people from a good part of the state and people from, you know, Wisconsin came and traveled here to, you know, for workshops and to share ideas and to be a part of that, that community and kind of touch base and, you know, see where we're at, check in and figure out what our next steps are all going to be. I'd like to thank you both for everything that you shared about the work of the Office of Sustainability at Western Michigan University, as well as the projects at Gibbs House and the way that they're impacting not only the university, but also the students who are a part of it. With the time that we have left today, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share from your own story, from the work at the university and Gibbs House, or really just any final thoughts for the listeners? I don't know if this fits in at the end of a podcast, but... We had an alumni visit our property fairly recently, and she grew up in the house, the Gibbs house. And at the time when she was here, this was back in the 
the 70s, um, late 60s and 80s, there was an agriculture program at this university. And this not being a state school, that's something that's really kind of unique. And at the time, you know, they're, they're teaching people how to farm and like real on the ground experiential life skills. Unfortunately, that program has since dissolved. But, you know, 20 years later, it's been incubated again. And I feel like the permaculture demonstration and research site that we have is, is permaculture working? And we love to see how things have gone full circle. And this alumni person who grew up in the Gibbs house, you know, she very intuitively noticed that you guys are doing it and you're doing it just like we used to do it. And that was a really wonderful experience for us to be able to share with her and her to share with us. So I love the idea of things kind of going full circle and in permaculture is, is that in a lot of ways. And Josh, do you have anything else that you would like to share? I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think of uh, an anecdotal story or something that I, that I'd like to share and just nothing is coming to mind at the moment. Gosh. Aquaponics. Yeah, I mean, there, integration there, of systems. There, there's a couple of, of things that uh, I left out when we were talking about um, some of the projects and things that are that are going. And these these were kind of upcoming projects that aren't you know solidified yet. But you know, some of the things we're looking at and where a lot of my experience lies is in aquaponic systems. Um, when I was in the Bahamas, the the system that I ran down there, we were feeding. 100 people, lunch and dinner, every day, salads, uh, seven days a week off of a tilapia aquaponic system that I ran there. And so we're looking at doing some more aquaponics. We have a small demonstration system at the office, but uh, integrating that into our research hoop house um, to make the hoop house as a system work better. So, we're, you know, the water in the aquaponic system would be heated by the compost hot water heater, which acts a, as a thermal buffer for the rest of the greenhouse to keep the, the day-night temperature swings uh, more reasonable through the winter and the summer. So, you know, that's one of the other really exciting up-and-coming projects that, that I'm really excited about having little experience in northern climate aquaponics and a lot of experience in subtropical. Another really exciting thing that I want to mention is, you know, the food and the produce and eventually the, the products coming out of our food forest are going to be going onto the main campus, hopefully, and there's a student cafe that's being started uh, as a place where students can go and find healthy food on campus and have a place to express themselves and interact and hang out that's on main campus. And so what we're working on at the Gibbs House is, is getting that part of our operation on the main campus where it can be exposed to more of the students. So the, those are two upcoming projects that I'm very excited about and also very passionate about. And as those projects come online and the work at Gibbs House continues to progress, I'd love to hear back from the two of you in the future about what's happening and how things change so that people can follow this project and the work at Western Michigan University on sustainability as a potential model for where they live. So thank you both for what you shared with me today and allowing me the opportunity to send this out into the world so more people can know about it. Scott, thank you so much for the opportunity to share our story. Yeah, it was great talking with you, and, and I hope your listeners can gain some useful 
insight and information from, from what we're doing. That's why we're here. And that was Derek and Joshua. Find out more about them, the Office of Sustainability, and the work at Gibbs House by visiting Western Michigan University's Office of Sustainability page and looking for Gibbs House, or by the link in the show notes. What I like about this conversation was the way in which WMU got involved in advancing permaculture, but without needing to draw this system of ecological design into the curriculum. Rather, Gibbs House and permaculture serve as a place for students and others to research and explore in ways that connect with their academic study and with creating a more bountiful, ecologically secure future. In the end, both sides win. But I also wonder how programs like the one at Gibbs House and WMU can influence larger movements on college campuses regarding sustainability. Will this effort and permaculture and others like it gain traction? Is there a place for higher education and permaculture to mingle? Or should they remain separate? These are questions that will be answered in time and through ongoing conversation. If you have thoughts on this, let me know. Leave a comment in the show notes or get in touch. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Call 717-827-6266. Or if you'd like, drop something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, D-A-U-P-H-I-N, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here next week, I visit with an old friend and one of the earliest guests on the show, my permaculture teacher and mentor, Dylan Neighbor Cruz, as we sit down to talk about his changing path when it comes to permaculture. And that episode will be another addition to the Faith and Earth Care series. After that, just in time for Thanksgiving, Sandor Katz joins me to delve into the wild world of fermentation. Until we meet again, spend each day creating the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.